Well, it sounds like everyone's here and just ready to go. So I'm going to start a hair early. Is that okay? Yeah. Might as well. All right. So sounds effective. Exactly. So um, they asked me to talk about uh, personal growth and how it relates to effectiveness. So I've called this Four Habits to Greater Effectiveness and Personal Growth. And my name's uh, Jordan Beal, and I'm excited to be with you guys. I've actually been in the Ohio AG, I was just telling him, uh, for 16 years. So I, I love uh, Ohio Assemblies of God. I actually was called in ministry at Big Prairie Camp. Anybody else? Orange carpet over cement? Yeah, good times. So um, I wanted to uh, introduce you to my family. This is my beautiful wife, Danielle. Uh, we are high school sweethearts. She's the only girlfriend I've ever had. And this is our new foster baby, Lucas. So pray that we get to keep him. Uh, we hope to keep him. So if I look tired, it's because I am. Yeah, it's because I'm waking up a lot in the middle of the night. And then these are my four girls. Just took them to daddy-daughter dance last night, which is also a contributor to my tiredness. But uh, hopefully you guys will put up with that today. But th this is my awesome family, and I just love them so much. And uh, today I'm going to give you four habits for a greater effectiveness. All right? So the reason I call them habits is because these are not tips, tricks, something you do once, or an event you attend, or a book you read. This is something I do regularly all the time, and I would encourage you to do. Uh, it's a habit. It's a habit that you want to form because it will shape uh, really the entirety of your life. Uh, so let's actually open in prayer, if that's okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. I pray that you speak through me, God, that you would just use my, my words, God, to uh, inspire people to love you more. And God, I just pray that every single one of us will go out of here today challenged and closer to you. God, make us more sensitive to your spirit. Make us more effective for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Everyone set? Amen. Amen. So you're probably not going to be surprised by the first one, prayer, right? Um, dreams and visions from God don't just happen. They are a result, at least in my life, they are a result of time spent alone with God. Time spent alone with God. I also want to say, do only what God is instructing based on how God has made you. Uh, by the way, I did put the uh, PDF in the Sketch app, and it has all that I'm going to say and all the slides. Uh, that way you don't have to write feverishly, uh, which is pretty cool. The schedule app lets you do that now. But this is really important. I'm going to talk about this a lot today. Identity. Knowing who you are, that should determine your schedule of tasks. It is remarkable to me how many leaders do things just because they've always been done, or maybe you're trying to fulfill somebody else's vision, or you're living out of your calling 20% of your day, maybe 20% of your week, you should be living out of your personal vision, your personal identity, 100% of the week. So if something gets mentioned to me as a suggestion and it doesn't align with my personal vision, my personal vision, we'll talk about that in a minute, is to create with the Creator, inspire people to love Jesus more. Um, we have a vision at our church, it's leading people to follow Jesus together. So if it doesn't lead people to follow Jesus together, I'm probably not going to do it. 
So this is what's going to make you more effective, right? So how many of us want to be more effective, right? I know it's a rhetorical question. You're like, yeah, that's why we're here. I want to be more effective, and I notice this. I have a lot more leverage. I, I get There's more effectiveness when I do only things. Can you guys say only with me? Only things that align with my calling, my vision, all right? No amount of performance will impress God or cause him to love you more. Can I read a little scripture for you this morning? Whatever gain I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And knowing Christ comes through prayer, talking to him directly, right? Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order, that I, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Right? Other translations say it like this, I'm no longer driven to impress God. Now, a lot of times we use this passage for faith and for grace, and that's, of course, appropriate. But it's interesting to me that later in Paul's life, he actually confesses that there were times in his life where he was driven to impress God. Stop trying to impress God or to impress man and just come into a place where you love Jesus so much, you're in communion with him so much, that he gives you an assignment based out of your relationship with him. And then when you do that assignment, then you're effective. And so that's the whole summary of the thing, but we'll, we'll come back to this a lot. Luke 19 gives us an incredible insight at what it means to have a relationship with the master, with, with Jesus. And I encourage you to read that later. For the sake of time, we don't have time to go into it now. But in this parable, right, that Jesus gives about the master and these, these people that are given these talents, these treasures, this time, there's a couple things we want to pull away right there. And this is all going to wrap up. This is all going to come together here in just a moment. Number one, God doesn't like when we compare ourselves to others. Comparison is a trap. Number two, Jesus loves faithfulness, not success. In fact, in the kingdom, faithfulness is success. Faithfulness to do what God has asked you to do that is success. Faithfulness is doing the best you can with what you have for God's glory. Faithfulness is doing the best you can with what you have for God's glory. If you're giving it 80%, I don't think we're quite yet being faithful, but if you're giving it 100% in order to please God, to serve people well and be great, then you are being faithful. And then number three, he doesn't like being accused. I remember, how many remember the wicked servant? I know that you are you steal you reap where you have not sown and here this guy is accusing God by the way how can God steal when he owns everything so this is what we do when we buy into this lie of trying to live out someone else's calling is is if we forget we have an assignment given to us by the master we have a relationship with the master we are not needing to compare ourselves with anybody else we need to to just do what God has told us to do based out of who God's called us to be. So your overall perception of what you do for the Lord should fill you with joy. Because I want you to notice what the two good servants, what did Jesus say? Enter into joy. I want to tell you a byproduct of all this. This is not the sermon, the teaching this morning. 
But a byproduct of being more effective and doing what's only aligned with your vision, you'll have more joy. Let me say that again, because how many know, like, as a leader, you, you could use some joy? How many have to deal with some conflict and problem solving and teams and yeah? You, there, there is a joy that can fill you when you're doing what you're called to do. So what do I mean by what you're called to do? This all comes back to prayer. It comes back to identity. Here's a question. Do you know what your identity is? You find it in prayer. So if I were to say, who are you? I really hope that, you know, you don't say, I'm an Assemblies of God. That's awesome, but that should be about number six, right? The first thing, if I were to say, who are you, should be child of God. Because you have brothers and sisters that are Baptist, Presbyterian, all over, right? Child of God. So everybody say, child of God with me. Now, underneath that, you have something very unique, though, too. You have a calling and a specific vision. What's your name? Maggie. Maggie has giftings and visions and passions that's totally different than me. And she's going to find immense effectiveness and joy if she lives out Maggie's vision and calling. Not Sarah's, not Jessica's, not Jordan's. Amen? So do you know what your personal identity is? What your personal calling is? I love to make stuff. I love to make stuff. That's my, so my personal vision statement for my life has been the same for 15 years since Bible college. Actually, about 17 years. It was halfway through Bible college. It's create with the creator and inspire people to love Jesus more. So I get antsy if I'm not making something. I hate managing anything. Hate it. So I delegate or automate my weaknesses. If you want to be more effective, don't do stuff. Don't try to be well-rounded. Hearing the advice, be well-rounded, is literally the worst advice you could, I think, ever receive in terms of leadership. You don't go to the doctor and say, well, doctor, I wish you were more well-rounded. No. You go to that specialist or that surgeon because he knows what he's talking about in that field. Right? That's why he's incredibly effective. Right? That's why they're swiping your credit card, paying for that surgery in that field because he's effective because he has focused in on what he alone wants to focus in on. So an organization or a team without a pastor or a leader who knows their personal vision, and hear me, apart from the corporate vision, will find themselves trapped in the treadmill of mediocrity. Your church, and how many, just curious, do, are any of you, um, you know, leaders of a, a company, a business, like a CEO, a CEO? Okay, so I might use some of those phrases a little bit. I'm just making sure. Same thing. You have a vision for your church or for your company, right? That's awesome. But even that should be predicated by your personal vision. If you don't know your personal vision, who you are when you lay your head down at night, when you wake up in the morning, then this just becomes a treadmill. This just becomes trying to succeed and trying to meet the bottom line and try to make people happy and so many leaders fall into these traps but you will have joy you'll be effective for the master if you find who you are again success for you and me is going to be different because god doesn't give everybody equal assignments does anybody notice right in those parables in matthew 25 and luke 19 he gives one three, or he gives one two, he gives one five, he gives one ten. It's going to be different. Can everybody say this with me? Different is okay. 
Different is okay. It is okay, right? It's going to be different. So success in the kingdom of God is obedience to your assignments. So uh, let me just back up a hair for my personal story. I was a youth pastor for seven years. I've been, I was a worship leader for 14 years. But in the first seven of that, I was also a youth pastor. And I loved youth ministry. I, lo- I know some people are like three, four years in, you're like, I am done. I love these kids. I'm like, drive you to, to camp and, you know, lose my voice and stay up all night as long as you love Jesus. That's me. I was loving that. But all of a sudden, year six, I was like hearing the Holy Spirit say to step down and to just do the studio thing, which was something I was saving for. But I was like, no, I, 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 have too much, I, I love youth ministry. And I felt like God said, no, I just want you to produce other artists, travel, just focus on music for a while. So for me, I had to come into this alignment of surrender. And by the way, God suddenly made me very uncomfortable in youth ministry. Has anybody ever entered a season change? Anybody? Right? There's, there's what I call like the, the disobedient phase, right, of like three months. And then there's like the awkward, like I'm trying to write a sermon for the teens and I was like, can't be here right now. I was like all of a sudden crazy uncomfortable in it. And the minute I said yes to God for my new season, I had peace. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had total peace. Even though it was against logic. Because logically, you guys, I had no bookings. None. Guess what happened? Are you ready for this? The week after I stepped down from youth ministry to do music full time, even though I had no bookings. So try looking at your wife and be like, my paycheck's going to cut in half. We're, so you're going to play like play out by churches in the future that will call. <laughs> it's going to be awesome, babe. Rock on. <laughs> right? But she's like, she loves Jesus, so she, she trusted me and trusted the Lord. The next week, my calendar booked, like nonstop. And then I was booked every single weekend for the next seven years. It was weird. I did no marketing. And what, guess what happened, by the way, when I said yes to being a senior pastor? Boop, no bookings. Explain that to me. Every weekend, literally, May all the way through about October, all summer long, God was so faithful from just saying yes. Just saying yes. So part of being effective, again, is saying yes to the specific assignments that God gives you the moment he gives them to you. All right? So when we look at these parables, we, we pulled away three things, right? I want to give you one more. Your overall perception of what you do for the Lord should fill you with joy. And if it doesn't fill you with joy, one of two things is happening. A, you have a misconception of the master. Remember the third servant? You are greedy. You steal. So you have a misconception of the master. Or, number, or, or B, you're in the wrong lane. You're in the wrong lane of vines doing someone else's job. Guys, I believe there are pastors who should not be pastors. They should be CEOs. And there are CEOs who should be pastors. You know? How many would agree with that? Okay, because everybody has a lane, but we like to put people in these little boxes and say this is what ministry looks like, but everybody has a very unique, special calling. So again, pray, ask God, how have you uniquely created me? Now, by the way, this is a summary of John Maxwell's book, um, the, uh, oh, I can't remember what, I, what, I, what it's called. I read it about eight years ago. This right here changed my life, all right? So he is basically 
this number two and three, but I've edited it a little bit for today's teaching. But ask God, how have you uniquely created me? You need to do self-assessment all the time. Like I do self-assessment all the time. If I leave a meeting, I ask myself, did I like that meeting? Did I not like that meeting? Was I frustrated in that meeting? If I was frustrated in that meeting, I either A, need to learn to do something different, or B, need to delegate it. Right? Um, did I have joy in that meeting or in that service or in that event or in that whatever? If I had joy, that means it's probably in line with the way God's made me. You guys getting it? Right? All right. Number two, ask others what are my talents. Do you know why? Has anybody ever seen American Idol? Other people know what you're good at. And by the way, other people know what you're bad at. Your whole staff knows what you're bad at. You're probably the only one that doesn't know. Ask yourself, okay, let me just, can I just tell you a funny story? This right here, I did this. He said, be really brave. John Maxwell said, be really brave and ask 20 people the same question. What are, you know, what's your highest strength and, and what's your, your weakness out of these five things or four things or even three things you like to do? So I picked four things that I felt, this is what God has called me to do. This is what God has gifted me to do. Now, by the way, this was in year six of youth ministry, and I literally got this book because I was struggling, feeling this call to leave youth ministry. Right back to that story. I asked 20 people, right, and I gave them some options, right? So I put singing, and by the way, I was leaving, I was going on the road to be a singer, but also to do Innovate Records, which is to produce Christian artists. So I put like singing, preaching, leading a team, songwriting. I put a few things down that I love to do. Every single one of them put singing as number four. I cried myself to sleep that night, okay? Literally, it was like, I was like, why God, you know? But they all put uh, teaching at the top and then songwriting at number two. So guess where I focused all my energy? Teaching and songwriting. So I developed a, a music curriculum called the Seven Theory. And it's used in conferences and, and uh, four different uh, colleges use it. It's, it's been really neat. I got leverage and more effective by focusing in on what God has created me to do, what other people are telling me I'm good at. So I didn't release an album of me singing for four years. What did I focus on? Songwriting. So I took all these songs, this huge book of songs, and I started pitching them to artists. Hey, I think you would sound good in this. Hey, I think you would. I was just bombarding artists. They'd say, I think I want to do an album with you. I'm like, well, good. I'm going to give you a Dropbox folder. It's going to have about 100 song ideas of me mumbling into my phone. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is the one. They would take it and run with it. And now to this day, I still get texts and emails. I just sang, you never let me go. I just sang this Sunday, and oh, my gosh, God moved. And I wasn't even there. I just wrote the song at midnight in my basement. So if you want to be more effective... Ask God, have you uniquely created me? Ask others, what are my talents? By the way, this you got to be brave to do this. Get ready for a little rejection and a little cry yourself to sleep. Okay? Number three, ask what do I love to do? So that's the, that's the question of passion. And then number four, what bothers me? I'm going to camp here for just a minute. Your conflict is always connected to your calling. A problem you want to solve. So David comes out to the battle, right? We all know the story. And what was his conflict? You guys are pastors, so you guys would probably know this. What made David mad? Anybody know? 
He was cursing who? God. He was, this guy Goliath, this punk, was cursing his best friend. How do we know he's his best friend? Because if you read the Psalms later, right? He says, even when my mother and father have forsaken me, you, O Lord, have never forsaken me. You, basically, you are my best friend. And so out comes this guy, and he's talking trash about his best friend. David comes out, he's like, oh, no, you didn't, right? That's his conflict. Sorry, I'm up in your face. I get excited. <laughs> so his conflict is the God that I love, Jehovah God, I'm going to stand for, for God. Yes, he wanted to save people, but I don't even think it was that for David. David, if you look at the text, was just mad that his God, his best friend, was being ridiculed. So he said, I'm going to solve this. So he steps in, and what happens? That was the tipping point, right? That was the, the moment of change. There was life for David up until that moment, and there was life for David after that moment. And you have to have the courage to, to confront those things that are conflicts in you, and you have to assess you have to take time in prayer to assess what is my conflict. You guys might know the story of World Vision, right? The guy is a successful CEO. He goes overseas and a missionary lays a baby in his arms, okay, and says, this baby is going to die within two weeks. What are you going to do? And she walks away. By the way, if you want to, like, change someone's life, do that. That's his story of World Vision. So he just sat there and started weeping started world vision yes right read it in his book holding the gospel okay crazy so his conflict now became i don't want to just make dollars i want to save starving babies what's your conflict for me i had a conflict uh about 10 years ago okay well it started about 14 years ago i left bible college i gotta get back to my notes because I'm, I'm starting to tell stories now but I left Bible college, and I had already written a just big folder of songs. I'm like, what am I going to do with these songs, right? I knew I wanted to make albums, and I knew I wanted to lead worship, but also, like, do the artist thing. Well, turns out, doing the artist thing is actually very difficult. Finding a great producer, finding a graphic artist that can spell. The first graphic artist got back. I had all these typos. I was like, did you hear the song? You know, the is T-H-E. You know, it was, so there's a T-H everywhere. And anyway, finding a web, like somebody build me a website. Oh, that'll cost 5,000. Oh my gosh. Right? So I had this conflict where all the problems that I needed solved as an artist, it hit me one day, I'm going to solve these problems for other people. Because this team I was assembling for my album, suddenly I'm like, do you want to be the Innovate graphic artist? Do you want to be the Innovate photographer? Do you want to be the Innovate web guy? Do you want to be the Innovate bass player? Do you want to be one of my session players? So now these guys come over all the time to the studio with 15 session players, web people, graphic people. There's a photo shoot happening right now, right? Like literally right now. They just texted me a little bit ago. So those happen, that thing happened because I needed something as an artist. You get what I'm saying? It was a conflict. So that suddenly I'm like, God's like, well, why don't you solve that conflict for other people while you're solving it for yourself? These are keys to greater effectiveness, right? And it's been a lot of joy to, uh, to solve those problems for artists. It's a blast. And by the way, then you can create systems that much of those things becomes automated, okay? Because the things you don't want to do, again, you should delegate or automate. All right, so let me talk about uh, 
my personal calling, right? This is my vision. And the reason I put this up there, <clears throat> I did not make this slide for you guys. I had made this slide in January in the cabin with my laptop when I was praying because I go to a cabin for three days. This is probably the most important piece of advice you'll hear in this talk topic today. I go to a cabin for three days every single January first week. I've done this for a decade and a half. It's the most important thing I do. Why? Prayer is the most important thing you should do. So in that time of prayer, I had always all these pages documents and wonderless task flows and I've got my full focus planner by Michael Hyatt and I've got like stuff everywhere. And I realized, you know, I want one infographic. Do you guys know what an infographic is? It's, it's just, it's a graphic that makes you understand the whole picture, right? Visual theology does a great job with those, by the way. My buddy, visual theology, so good. But anyway, I wanted to make a visual for my vision and how it affects my life, right? So we've got, uh, my vision is create with the creator, inspire people to love Jesus more. Notice it doesn't say manage. I don't like managing, right? I don't like editing. I don't like fixing, but I do like starting stuff. I love starting stuff. Give me anything. Give me a song, an app. I don't care. I just want to start something, okay? This is why I hate doing the dishes because they're just going to get dirty again. I can't. <laughs> can't handle it okay but I do it to love my wife yay Jesus okay so I know this is me here I'm saying I want to be a creator I feel God has made me to be a worshiper a creator a leader of leaders and these are a lot of my verses for that that where God consistently convicts me of all the time so out of that comes rock of grace our church and then I ask who so we're going to get to this in a minute so you start with who I am and then you decide what I'll do, and then you decide who I'll do it with. You want to be effective? Write this down. Who am I? Not who is my friend, not who is my brother, not who is my dad, not who is the former pastor. Who am I? Therefore, what should I do? Next, who should do that with me? Because if it's a vision from God, you need more people not going to be able to do just by yourself right so we've got rock of grace here obviously our staff four ministry directors pastor josh he uh, is our executive pastor and he helps me plant campuses timothy's very important to me like who i'm raising up um transform trumbo we'll talk about that books i write is connected to both of these because i wanted to impact people but also i know it's going to help mentor our uh, leaders at church who will then impact people because that's my whole goal with Ephesians 4 Exodus 18 like Moses like don't do everything yourself Jethro's like hey you need a team Moses like yeah I do need a team because I'm exhausted and, uh, and then of course the music label stuff over here any questions on like the idea of vision and how it relates we'll do a Q&A time at the end but keep going all right because we're still on prayer oh my hope we got another three hours I'm just kidding we got, oh, actually, I'm going fast. We're good. Okay. Um, personal growth comes through constantly asking yourself the right questions. So this is what I was talking about a minute ago, self-assessment. I'm telling you, I psychoanalyze myself all the time, all the time. Like while I'm driving, I'm laying down at night. Again, if something's not going good, I'm either going to stop doing it 
I'm going to change it, or I'm going to delegate somebody else to do it. But I should not keep doing it. Right? Ask yourself the right questions. Um, lack of personal growth comes from being too busy in the whirlwind. Does anybody know what the whirlwind is? Who knows what the whirlwind is? Has anybody read Four Disciplines of Execution? It's the number, I, I read a lot. That's the number one book I've ever read in my life. And you need to write it down right now. I'm telling you that. We're going to reference it in about 10 minutes. Four Disciplines of Execution. Apart from God, miracle working power of God, obviously, but in terms of a resource, a tool, I would say that book is what allowed us to plant a campus a year in, seeing success there, and that, that book, I'm telling you. So we'll, we'll go over some of the core principles in it in a minute. But um, he talks about in the book, The Whirlwind. The Whirlwind is when you come in, it's 9 o'clock, you've already got 150 emails, You've already got an administrator telling you that there's dirty diapers piled up in the nursery and Sister Susan didn't take out the trash and now the whole church smells like poo and you got problems and it's the world, it's 9 a.m. Have you guys ever had a church day like that? Just me and him, apparently. Anybody? Okay, thank you. How many of you are caught in the whirlwind till 5 o'clock at night? How many, somebody said 7. How many till 7 or 8 o'clock at night? Okay, right? Not good. First of all, I want a friendly reminder, your family's your first ministry. So this is not part of the talk, but I just want to let you know, I did pastor's kid retreat for 10 years, and it was very painful to watch a lot of kids don't like their parents because it's real. I'm just, I'm just trying to talk heart to heart for you. Can you guys take a little heart to heart for a minute? Okay, because they're at church or doing ministry, you know, four or five times a, a week. So don't do that. So I made a personal limit of three nights a week, absolutely max. I don't care if Elder Joe died. Actually, if Elder Joe died, I would go. Okay, but it's got to be a big deal if I go over three nights. In fact, I told a staff member uh, two weeks ago, she said, well, that'll make my fourth night, but I'm going to do it. I said, no, you're not. Who else would like to do that? And somebody else took it because we have a team approach. Because your family is your first ministry. Ever got that? Your family, I don't care how effective you want to be. Don't turn out to be 80 years old and your kids don't know your name. Not cool, right? All right, I don't know how we got on that. But anyway, the whirlwind. The whirlwind is when you're too busy working in your church, you're not working on your church. The whirlwind is when you're too busy working in your church, you're not working on your church. But your number one job as the pastor is to work on your church, not in it. Not in an email, not in a meeting. It's to, it's to be alone with God and say, where are we going? Why are we going? How, how, right? What are we going to do to get there? Who do I need to bring alongside me to get there? That's working on. Right? So that's working on your church. The whirlwind is when you're working in your church and you're doing it so often that you're not working on your church. Does that make sense? All right. So this, again, all comes back to identity. What has God called me to do? And what is my conflict? Number two. So number one was pray. Number two, commit to learn. Learn from those inside your team. I made a joke earlier, uh, and it's true, though. 
Everybody on your team knows your weaknesses. So the question is, do you? Are you willing to listen to your team? When they give you feedback and constructive criticism, do you feel attacked? Or do you realize they actually just want to help the church grow? Right? So it all comes back to identity. Because if you know you're fully loved by the Father, then you won't be insecure. If you're fully loved as a child of God, then you're okay with constructive criticism. I get so much constructive. I get beat up every Tuesday. I'm just like, bring it on. Just beat me up. Beat me up. Hit me again. Right? And I welcome it. And sometimes it is hard. Let's be honest. How many of you guys say constructive criticism is hard? When they say that point, point number four in your sermon flopped, right? You might want to be like, well, then you should be at the altar, right? <laughs> but you got to bite your tongue and be like, point four did flop, didn't it? Right? Like, I lost them. I lost the crowd, in that, and, I, and I just kept on going. You got to let your team speak into your life, so are you listening to your team? Your number one job as a leader is not to preach. Your number one job is to know the vision of your church and to assemble a team to execute the vision of your church. Preaching is awesome, but that's like 10% of your job, right? How many realize 90% of your job is leading people, the one-on-ones, the conversations, right? Of course, we know that as, as pastors. So commit to learn. Admit your shortcomings. I force myself to be administrative and put things in my calendar, but it doesn't come easy. I, I force myself to be administrative, but I will easily tell you it's administration is a, is a shortcoming, right? So again, they already know, your team already knows your shortcomings. Commit to learn. Learn how to do things from better outside your team. I feel like I went a little bit too fast on the inside your team thing. So let me back up a minute. Um, committing to learn with those uh, from those outside, or I'm sorry, inside your team, it's not just staff meeting. How many of you do have a weekly staff meeting? What the four disciplines of execution, Covey calls a WIG meeting, but we would call it a staff meeting. Does anybody have a staff meeting? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if it's weekly. Okay, I'm really curious why the rest of you don't. How, do you have it monthly? Just give me a little feedback. Monthly? How many of you just don't meet at all? You're just winging it like you don't even know. How, okay, I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. How many of you have a meeting once a month? Okay, great, excellent. Those are really important. Uh, let me ask this, do, do you guys meet with individuals outside that on your team? Because I want to encourage you to do that. Because let's take, what's your name, Harley? Oh, what a cool name, Harley. I like your glasses too. Okay, so let's say Harley, right, and my, that my team's right here. Harley might say, hey, you know what, there was no greeters at the door. I don't know if anybody noticed, and suddenly we're all aware of that. So we, we task hospitality director. Hey, you're the PL over that. Uh, we're working on it. She's writing it down. Great. Well, what Harley may not say in a big meeting, right, is somebody reamed her out behind the nursery. But if I'm one-on-one -on -one at Starbucks with her, how you doing, Harley? How's life? This is leading. This is leading for greater effectiveness. Harley, what's going on at home? How's it been on Sundays? Are you happy on Sundays? Well, usually I'm happy on Sundays. But last week, Deacon Frank reamed me out for no reason. I don't know if that happened. But anyway, you get the idea? She's going to be honest with me one-on-one. -on -one. I have been able to lead my team with more effectiveness 
way, way more effectiveness by being one-on-one. -on -one. And by the way, I often go outside the office because if I'm behind the desk, I'm the pastor, I'm the boss. If I'm across from the Starbucks table, I'm a friend. Environment matters and with the way they feel matters, right? So just some ideas for you. Like half of my work week is spent outside my office. Now, by the way, that'll take some adjusting for your staff to get used to, right? So that bothered, bothered a couple staff before because they were used to a different, but I had to clarify what I was doing. I'm not at home, you know, playing solitaire. Like, I just, so I shared my calendar with them, and suddenly they're like, oh, my gosh, you have eight meetings. You know, get what I'm saying? So you have to maybe change some systems to accommodate, but it's really important. All right, number, number 2B, learn from those outside your team. These are some of my favorite books. I'm not doing this to impress you. I'm just letting you know. These are some of the books that I read this last year that I loved. I loved. Planting Missional Churches, very good. Logic of God, very good. Bob Goff, any Bob Goff fans? So good. He will make you a nicer person. Just saying. If you're like, how come nobody wants to hang out with me? Read Bob Goff. Okay. Uh, Zero to one, that's really good. Again, it's a business leadership book, but you can apply its principles at your church. Storytelling Edge, Ooh, how many want to be a better preacher, better communicator? Read the Storytelling Edge, that one's gold. So anyway, here's my point. I hope you're reading, right? So I hope you're reading. It's really important that you read. Um, I, that's the simple one, right? I don't need to elaborate on that one, but really important that you read. Commit to learn, and what I mean by this commit to learn, again, it's a habit that you're going to do ongoing. So every single Monday, I read for an hour. So the phone is off. I'm not preparing anything. I'm not writing anything. I'm not in creation. I'm just learning, right? Um, I'll listen to a podcast, I would say, two times a week, maybe three times a week on my way to church and on my way to and from work. Um, I'll listen to an audiobook, I would say once or twice a month, usually during if I have to drive a long way. So let's say I'm going to Cleveland for a hospital visitation. Any drive that's an hour longer, I, I'm doing an audiobook. Do you get what I mean? So you're, you're creating these habits in which you're learning. Because I'm telling you, it will make you more effective. Um, I know I'm more effective. Let me give you an example. I know I am more effective as a preacher because I read the book Preaching by Timothy Keller. Fantastic book. I actually required every one of our staff pastors and Pastor Joey, our campus pastor, to read that book. And I'm going to require every pastor who joins my staff to read that book. That's how good it is. A clear understanding of the gospel. Even if you feel like, no, I understand the gospel. I, great. But I, I would still encourage you to read it. It made me a better community. I read every time I read the book, put it this way. Every time I read a chapter or two, I would open my sermon and change it because I had accidentally got into a workspace form of my sermon. And I, every time I'd read the book, I'd come back to, but what is the gospel? What did God do? Now, what does man do? So reading, 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 so important. Develop a weekly rhythm. This is going to make you more effective. Um, how many feel like you have, let's just be really honest and transparent if you if you will how many feel like you've got a pretty good rhythm feel like you got a pretty good rhythm now my rhythm is like really thrown off right now with this newborn like i don't even know what day it is you know because i'm getting up three times a night uh but i have a how many of you have a day of rest on sundays even though you minister in the mornings 
Do you guys, how many take a nap? How many hit that wall? All of you, that's what I thought, all right? But let me ask this, how many of you lead then a small group that night or a service? So then you're cleaning your house, right, at four o'clock. You're ready to minister again. Make sure you take some time to rest, okay? For me, it's Saturday. For me, it's Friday. After three o'clock, my artist time, uh, recording time is always done at three, but even Friday when I'm working with an artist, it's still so good for my soul that it feels like rest. So that's my, that's my soul time, okay? Good for my mind, my will, and my emotions. Um, it was a little saddening to me to see only a couple hands go up on this question, so I really want to encourage you guys, develop a rhythm, right? Because God has these rhythms. You know the fields would rest every seven years? And they would be more productive the next year. You want to be more productive, it might be because you're not resting. When you rest, you get revelatory downloads that you don't even know are happening. Rest is really important. So for me, it's like worship, rest, learn, work, play, repeat. That's my week right there. No joke. That is my week. So commit to learn from those inside and outside uh, your team. Develop a weekly rhythm. All right, number three. Focus on team. Can you guys all hear me? I'm trying to really be loud because the tables, the rooms are so spread out. Can you guys hear me back there okay? All right. It's amazing to me how many uh, leaders, actually, if you were to say, what's your most important job, um, they'll give you different answers. Your job is to surround yourself with smart people. It is not to be the smartest person in the room. Your job is to surround yourself with smart people who are great at things you are average or bad at and then lead them towards a common goal that align with your vision. That's it. If you always got to be the smartest person in the room, your, your effectiveness is in personal growth is going to go way down. If you surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, right? read Lincoln on Leadership. Read some of these books uh, uh, about, about leadership, Simon Sinek or Lincoln Law Leadership, some of these books about team. Take, take notes from uh, Gary Kelly, CEO of Southwest, right? This is, he's all about team. You know Southwest is still rated the number one place to work, and somehow they're also, he's th still the most successful company. Why? He values team. If, if Gary Kelly walks in a room, you would never know that he's the CEO of the most profitable company because he's, he's always celebrating other people. So when you're in a staff meeting, are you more excited to be celebrated because of how awesome your sermon was? Or are you really excited to celebrate your kids director who just hit it out of the park or your, or your youth director who just suffered for the gospel for three days on a retreat with the teens, right? Or maybe an executive pastor that's put a, a system together. Focus on team. You can't empower and encourage leaders in your team if you're not honest with your shortcomings. What, what do I mean by that? If I'm not willing to admit where I'm not good at, what things I'm not good at, then I won't delegate. And if I don't delegate, then I can't celebrate. Our staff meeting, half of the staff meeting is celebrating things that they're doing that I don't want to do, right? And that's why they're there, because I'm like, I'm terrible at this. Can you do this? And they're like, yes, I'm good at that. Woo. Do you know every three months, one thing I started to do, the first thing I, I did when I became a, a lead pastor, I wanted everybody on the team to be happy. 
So I said, write out everything that you do, and I want you to highlight in a weekly basis, like literally everything, and I want you to highlight in pink if you uh, hate it, and highlight in yellow, you know, if it's just okay, but the other things you actually enjoy. Do you know, so they brought that to staff, there was more pink than I wanted to see. But we just took everything off the pink. So they'd be like, what's pink? And they'd be like, I'll take that. Because here I had a graphic artist that is administrative, but she's not that administrative. And she can only do administration so long before she starts to freak out, like my mind does. She's more of a, a goober, like I am. I'm a goober. Any goobers? Right? OK. Well, so what happened? Kathy, who's super linear and administrative, she goes, I'll take those three things. I love Excel. I have to pray for people like that. Like, I don't get it, you know? <laughs> Kathy took it, and Vicky was like, really? She's like, yeah. She's like, will you take the bulletin? Yes. Right? And some things we just deleted. You know, there's a lot of stuff, like, you're doing, you, their team might be doing, you don't even need to do, you know? You guys ever heard the story of the roast? You guys have heard that, right? The roast is put, so, let's see if I got time to tell. Yeah, I got time. So, like, roast is put in, it's like, this big family meal, and all the families around, and you say, hey, why is the roast like six inches? I'm like, oh, it's always, it's always, we, we, you know, we cut off the ends, you know? And uh, well, why do you cut off the, oh, I, saw, I always saw my mom do it. So she asked her mom, why did you cut off the ends? I don't know, I, I saw my mom do it. And she said, well, why, mom, why did you, and she calls, why, hey, grandma, why did you get, oh, my oven was seven inches wide. So we cut it off, so here they're like wasting all this meat for the next four decades. Don't just do stuff because that's part of the job description. That's always been done. You got to do what aligns with your vision and your vision only. And then when it comes to your team, assess their joy level. Joy is the first, first contributor to employee engagement. How does your team feel when they pull in the parking lot? Are they excited to work there? Are they high-fiving? Are they smiling? Or when they're going to the bathroom or getting a coffee, it's like, hey. Joy. Joy. Are they doing things they like to do? Now, does, is there going to come a part of every day where you got to do something you don't want to do? Of course. But for the most part, there are things you can take off the plate of your team that don't belong there because it doesn't align with their personal vision and their uniqueness. You know what I'm saying? But that's your job as the leader. How many of you are the senior pastor or the, the leader? Can you raise your hand? How many of you are a uh, like a department leader or a support staff? Okay, and then how many of you here are like a volunteer leader? Okay, yeah, more than I thought. So here's the thing, for, for you volunteer leaders, same thing though, all this still applies, is ask yourself, hey, if from three to five, like I hate doing that, I bet your pastor is nice enough if you were to go to him and be like, Pastor Phil, I'm going to lose my mind up in here, up in here. <laughs> if I have to do this again, what I do from three to five, I bet your pastor doesn't even know that you hate it. He probably doesn't even know, right? But if you tell him, he might say, oh, honey, let's take that off your plate. Now, he might say, suck it up. I don't know. But I'm just saying, be honest, be transparent, be a team. Focus on team. Give the team credit. i got to be done at 1230, right? Am I talking too fast? You guys okay? Okay. Give the team credit. Don't be Scotty. Look at your buddy. Say, don't be Scotty. I was trying to think of a time. 
I'm writing, I'm writing this out, and I'm trying to think of a time when someone was just like stupid selfish, like stupid immature. And suddenly my mind went to the 1994 finals game. Did anybody, did anybody watch the Bulls play after Michael Jordan? Okay, listen, I, I don't watch an NBA, a lot of NBA now. I watch a little bit. But when I was age 9 to about 12, I either played basketball or watched basketball. That was it. Okay? I remember watching in the last play, right? Coach had called a play to be passed to Tony Kukoc. And they were down. This was going to be the winning shot. And Scottie Pippen, it's now his time to shine because Michael Jordan is no longer in the picture. Scottie had played the support role for years. Okay? So Michael Jordan was always the one to shine. When Scottie heard that play called by Coach Phil Jackson, Scottie yelled a few explic explicatives and walked, moped his butt down to the bench and sat down and said, I'm not playing. And the whole team looks around. In fact, if you watch the clip, his other players are rolling their eyes. Like you could literally see them rolling their eyes at his immaturity. Don't be Scotty. Give the whole team credit. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. Outdo one another in showing honor. I try to show honor to our team all the time. T today, this morning, this morning, I posted about my executive pastor, how awesome he is. I told everybody, this is what he does. This is what makes him awesome. Don't be Scotty. Focus on the team. Empower them. Do you know when uh, employee engagement uh, things were, were assessed at a bunch of companies around the nation? The number one reason people loved their company was they felt empowered. The number two reason was they were listened to. So the one-on-ones, I'm telling you guys, one-on-ones tells your team that you're listening to them. The question, though, is after you've listened to them, do you empower them to actually do what you said that you think they're good at? All right? So empower them, encourage them, and then celebrate them. So can everybody say this with me? Empower, empower. encourage, encourage. And, celebrate. and celebrate. All right? So never correct them in public. You correct in private. You celebrate them in public. Amen? Don't be Scotty. All right. As you mature in Christ and as you mature as a leader, you'll be, you'll be more and more concerned with the needs of all others around you and the success of your team. You'll be less concerned with your needs, your success, your fame and reputation. I have four girls under the age of 10. Y'all need to pray for me, okay? So a lot of emotion, a lot of drama in my house. When my girls enter the room, it's this is what I want and this is what I need, right? So, Selah, my daughter, will come in and, hey, I want some cereal. Hey, I want some cereal. I want some cereal. Do you have Cheerios? Do you have Cheerios? Right? And I'm like, we're already in a conversation, honey. So I teach them to put their hand on my, on my arm and wait to look at them. And sometimes I do the long wait. I just. Mike doesn't even get out of her bedroom. To do it. Does he? Now, guess who's getting better at this? My 10-year-old. Guess who's still terrible at it? My 4-year-old. Because she's 4. She's still the center of the universe. So when she comes in, it's like, do you have a gummy? Doesn't matter what we're talking about. Doesn't matter who's there. So when you enter a room, oh, man, it's going to get personal. <laughs> when you enter a room, does the conversation come back to you and your idea 
and how great your sermon was and how great your plan is? Or are you walking in going, what conversations are already happening? And how can I celebrate you? That's what an effective leader does. An immature leader needs and craves compliments and needs the conversation to be about them. A secure leader, somebody who's maturing in Christ, needs the conversation to be about Jesus and needs to be the people that need to be celebrated are the team. All right. Focus on team. Be honest. Be real. Grow together. All right. We already talked about that a little bit. Great leaders do not, great leaders who create the future don't assume they know that other people are smarter. They actually know that other people are smarter and they surround themselves with them. A leader, it's your first job is to focus on vision, right? Focus on vision. Where the company or the church is headed, your second job is staff. Who? is leading what department those that's it that's like incredibly incredibly important for you as the leader is what is the vision of your church so our vision used to be and it, it was it was great it just what didn't resonate with me when i came in to be the pastor our vision used to be reaching up for the help reaching out to the hurting so guess what our whole church guess what our feel was we're all hurting Literally, it was everywhere. So the vision is everywhere. We're all hurting. So everybody's hurting. And no, <laughs> right? And then we wonder why people weren't making disciples. So then when I asked God, well, what's our vision? I, and I had two and a half year long process of transition. So I had a lot of time to pray and think about it. We narrowed it down to that, leading people to follow Jesus together. We're all following Jesus. And we're leading people to follow Jesus together. It's very simple. Follow Jesus together is everywhere. It communicates Jesus is first. It communicates uh, community, togetherness. And so that is everywhere. But now, after vision, I decide who leads what. And I'm totally okay with taking someone out of a department and moving them. And your team needs to know that they can be moved to another department. If, if they know that they're not hitting it out of the park and maybe you know they're not hitting it out of the park, that's okay because the vision of the church is the paramount. Everything else is up for grabs. Make sense? Four disciplines of execution. Oh, this is a good one. As a leader, you do have the final say, but it's important to remember you do not have the only say. It took me an hour to come up with that statement, so I hope you write that down. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, plan your effectiveness, number number four, right? So we gave you the first three. I want to have five minutes of Q&A, so we will um, try to wrap this up in three minutes. Plan your effectiveness. Four disciplines of execution. I'm telling you, read that book. Because of that book, I was able, and I, I had the whole team read it, um, we established our wigs, our wildly important goals, right? When everybody knows the vision and the goals, then you're much more effective. Nobody's wasting time in inbox for four hours. If, you're, if your team is wasting their time in inbox for four hours or another hour on social media, and that, you're not going to be effective. And you're not going to be effective because you don't know goals, and you don't know goals because there's not vision clarified. Vision needs to be clear. Then your goals, your wildly important goals, are those things that you articulate, but you let the team help create. 
Okay, so I'm going to sum up the whole book here in like two minutes, but I, I would still read the book if I were you. So what do I mean by wildly important goal? So ours was 84 people to go through our path of discipleship. Now, that was a big deal, right? So this is before the church plant. Uh, this is in a church of uh, three to 350 people. It was, that was a big goal for 84 people to go through the path of discipleship, which I can't articulate all that that is right now. But anyway, 84. And we reached that. We had 96. Then we had a wildly important goal of having 10 life groups to go from 4 to 10. We ended up with 14. Then we had a wildly important goal of our church being planted on Easter um, with 75 people. And, and it was too full. So God answered all of those things that we th I actually thought were too big. I don't know if you've ever heard of SMART goals, right? Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timed. They were SMART, but they were also going to require a miracle. Like, I didn't even know if they were achievable. I'm like, we're only sending 20 people down to this church plant. How, how are we going to have 175? But now they're up to 160 people weekly, and they have to go to a third service soon. So God is answering miracles and doing these things, but we had to articulate our prayers with God. I just almost broke the TV. We had to say, God, what can you do if we focus? I'd also use the Wonderless app. Right? The Wonderless app lets you assign and delegate to your team. If we go back to step three, habit, not step, habit three, is using some sort of system of accountability. Right? On the, book, on the book, Four Disciplines of Execution, he calls it scoreboard. I didn't like that word scoreboard, but we'll just use the word accountability. Um, Patrick Lencioni says this, if someone says, you're micromanaging me, what they're actually saying is, I don't want to be held accountable. Right? If you go to a Disney leadership conference, micromanage is a, is a, is a curse word at Disney. You're not allowed to say it. Because if you have a department leader who's holding you accountable to something, that's their job. Okay, so establish your WIG, define the lead measures. Those are the things that impact the goal. Create a simple scoreboard. We use Wonderlist. So when I assign them a task on Wonderlist app, I see when they do it. In fact, my phone gives this pleasant ding. When I complete one of my tasks, it goes ding. I love it. It's like a Hot Pocket is done. It makes me a little hungry. <laughs> WIG meetings are your staff meeting. You should have that every week. I know a lot of you have it every month. Try your best to have it every week, even if, you have, even if you're talking volunteers. Even if you're like, I don't have a staff, I have, I have uh, volunteers, try to do it at 6 p.m. Feed them pizza, feed them something. Do, get them weekly, because if, if you don't have them weekly, then you're, you're not going to have momentum, right? You're going to lose momentum if you're only meeting one. Uh, that can work. My kids go a little cray-cray after church, so that wouldn't work. My kids hit a, a wall, like that cement wall behind you. They just lose their mind. But if that works, that works. All right, so we talked about this, but I wanted to repeat it. When you define who you are. So for me, I like to create stuff. I like to, I'm a worshiper. I love to make music, and I love to build teams. We established that's who I am, so I'm only going to do things that align with that. By the way, I really wanted our church to lead people to follow Jesus together. You guys want to hear a funny story? This is terrible. I should take the mic off for this. This is bad. Brace yourself. We had like 100 ministries at our church, but we had no new saved people, like ever. But we had a lot of ministries. 
Well, one of those ministries was a ministry to special needs kids, which is beautiful and valuable and awesome. This, again, I should probably take the mic off. Special, beautiful, awesome. But I felt like God told us to plant churches and lead people to follow Jesus together with life groups. And every time I would approach someone in our church, 300 people who have been following Jesus forever, and I'd say, would you consider leading a life group? Do you know they all said the same thing? Oh, I'm in loving hands. That's my ministry. Every single person. And so I had to make the terrible, brutal, Hitler-like decision to cut ministry to special needs. Now imagine three pillar ladies of the church, Pentecostal hair buns and all, walking up to me, pointing their finger in my face because this happened. He said, how can you not love the least of these? I said, honey, they're going to heaven anyways. There's a lot of people within 10 miles that are going to hell. Now, it sounded harsh, but next thing you know, they begin to cry. And we prayed for the lost. And some of those very people became a part of our church plant team and now have a life group. Now, again, I'm all for ministering to special needs. I think that's great. But the American Diabetes Association doesn't try to solve cancer. The Cancer Association doesn't try. You have to know what God's called you to do. And you have to be totally okay with that. And feel no guilt, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen in Romans 8? you got to know what you're called to do. And what I'm called to do is to plant churches, right? And lead people to follow Jesus together. So here's what happened. I said, guys, if you really love these kids, you'll love them outside the church. Wait, what? What? And here's what I kept saying. Jesus didn't say, meet me at the synagogue at 10 o'clock. I'll be hosting a service. He was with them. So guess what? I said, go to their parties. Find out where they go to school. Be a mentor. Next thing you know, I started seeing this post. Oh my gosh, he came to his party. And they're showing pictures of them at their parties. Now they're loving people outside the church. Right? Isn't that the whole gospel? All right, so that was beautiful. I just wasted my Q&A time. All right, time management. Uh, lead your. I don't even. I don't even get why it's funny. Wait, why is it funny? I totally missed it. Oh yeah, I did say that. Time management. Yeah, I just blew it. Okay. Well, the last part. Uh, I lost it. I really didn't get it. I was like, what? Okay. All right. You'll have more time to learn and do personal growth if you plan for it by managing your time well. So again, I want to encourage you to manage your time really well. Uh, Full Focus Planner does that for me and the Wonderlist app. But the Wonderlist app gets a little overwhelming because I can see like 20 things I need to do and you can prioritize them. Uh, the Full Focus Planner is paper and you won't get a Facebook notification, you won't get a text while you're trying to plan your day. So you need to plan your year, plan your week, plan your day. That's what I do. I'm not saying you have to do that and do whatever you want, but that's what I would encourage you to do. Plan your year after you spend time alone in prayer. Plan your week and plan your day. All right, how about like two questions since people aren't coming in? Any questions on? Oh, it's lunch. Cool. Any questions? Yeah? 
Yeah, so I'm very careful about it. Even though I love what I do, right? I love being at church, and I love producing music on Fridays. So it's, it's hard for me, but I make the but I love my kids. So I'm like one of these, like, oh, who do I love more? What do I love more? So I force myself to go home at, at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. Uh, I force myself to say no to things, to invites, you know? It's past. Oh, totally. Yeah. I plan every Saturday. I'm at my kids' games. I'm with them all day Saturday. Yeah. I just You just have to plan it. And you have to be willing to say no. My question would be the flip side of that. I, uh, I'm big on family first, and I think yep. sometimes my folks just know too much. Yeah, you know, I've seen that happen. I actually had someone, I, I had to talk with them about that because it was so, family was so high that they were abdicating responsibility. Well, it's like, yeah, but there's still there's still a nine to five here. There's still a responsibility that we're committing to, you know. Anything else? Hey, thank you guys for coming. You guys are awesome.